And for the rest of us, we are beginning in the book of Colossians this morning. Before we're done with our time, we're going to hear from the entire book. It's just four chapters long. But as you see the title of the message, Grace and Peace from God our Father. Let me lead us in prayer as we then get into things. Our God and Father, we give you thanks through our Lord Jesus Christ for the riches of all of your righteousness, your redeeming grace and peace in Jesus. Father, you overflow with goodness and mercy toward your people, and you are eager to pour out grace and peace in Jesus to all who hunger and thirst for you. So, Father, please help us now and teach us and transform us by your Spirit, through your Word, that we might trust and obey Jesus, and that in so doing, we might bear much fruit for your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I would like you to imagine that you are living in the first century in a city in Asia, Asia Minor named Colossae. The city is in the Lycus Valley. It's about 120 miles from the city of Ephesus, and it's only 11 miles from another city called Laodicea. Now, Colossae was once a large, thriving cultural center, but in your day, in the first century, it's been declining in size and significance. Now, I want you to also imagine that through the faithful witnessing of a fellow Colossian citizen of yours by the name of Epaphras, through his faithful witnessing, you have become a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, I know that this is true for many of you here today, though no doubt some of you are not born-again Christians, and that's okay. We're glad that you're here, but stay with me in this. So imagine that you have become a believer in Jesus Christ. In other words, imagine that there was a time when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, and it shot like a rocket into your heart, and you were powerfully and truly converted. What this means is that there was a time when you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. You heard that you were created by the one true holy God and that you were accountable to him. And you also heard that you had rebelled against him and were alienated from this God, failing to give him the worship and obedience that he deserves. In reality, you were at war with God. And when you learned this, you were convicted and crushed with the weight of your undeniable sin and guilt. And you were broken and you were undone and hopeless because of your own proud, selfish, inexcusable wickedness. And you knew in your heart that you fully deserved God's righteous wrath and judgment because of your unrighteousness. But even as you heard all of that, you also heard and understood that God had provided a remedy for your sin. And in love, he sent his eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live and die and rise again to redeem those who would repent and trust him. 
and to forgive all of your sins and to reconcile you to God your Father and to count you holy and blameless in Jesus. And so when you heard this good news, you actually did repent and you trusted Jesus. And just as Mikey was this morning, you were baptized, publicly confessing your faith in Jesus. And so you drank deeply and you savored God's grace in Jesus, his rich and abundant favor and blessings in place of his wrath and his curse. And you also drank deeply and you basked in God's peace in Jesus. That tranquility of soul that he gives, the quietness of a conscience that has been forgiven and cleansed and brought to rest with your maker. In other words, your war of rebellion against God ended when you were converted. And so you were filled with love and hope and joy and abundant thanksgiving. And like a newborn baby, you were consumed with hunger to join other Christians in a church in knowing and obeying and proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, your conversion changed everything for you. Well, keep imagining that all of that was fine and good when it happened, but that was then and this is now. We're still in the first century, okay? Keep imagining. This is now. Things are maybe different for you these days, many days after your conversion. Perhaps your initial zeal and enthusiasm in Jesus has cooled down a bit. Perhaps you've even become dull in faith. And if you're honest, perhaps your faith has slowly but surely been shifting away from the full hope of the gospel, drifting away from wholehearted confidence in and commitment to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe this hasn't happened and your faith remains firm and strong. And if that's the case, then praise God. But you know that such drifting is nonetheless a danger. And if that drifting has happened, you've become dry inside of your heart. Now, you still go to church and you do lots of the things that good Christians do. But in your heart, there's just not the same eager, hungry devotion to and delight in Jesus that there once was. And so this shifting of your faith, if it has happened, has, has happened for any number of reasons, and likely it's a combination of things. Maybe you've been reading or listening to other ideas and philosophies of life that seem pretty good, uh, that seem to work, and, and, and they really don't seem that much different than biblical teaching. And you're kind of drawn to these plausible arguments about how life works. Or maybe you're feeling the pressure and the judgment of other people who seem to make Christianity nothing more than a bunch of external rules and regulations. 
you know, just one big list of do these things and don't do these things. And maybe you're drawn to that kind of legalism or maybe you're disillusioned by it. Or maybe you're captivated by a more mystical, esoteric approach to things with God. Maybe you're fascinated and intrigued with angels or visions or dreams and you think that such things are, are, are for the really spiritual people and you're kind of captivated by all of that. Or maybe you're just overly preoccupied with the things of this earth, things like school and jobs and your health, and money, and possessions, or politics, or pleasure, and relationships, or hobbies, and we could go on down the list. Now, things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but for you, in your heart, they've become idols. And whatever idols you might have, the bottom line is that your mind is set on earthly things. And so maybe, if you're being honest, you're also just weary and tired of trying to walk with Christ in a godless world. You're tired of putting off all of the sins and idolatry that were a part of your pre-Christian life. And you're tired of trying to put on the humility and the godliness that Jesus calls you to. You're tired of Putting, you're, you're, you're tired of doing that, and you're tired of the effort, of the messiness, and of the pain that is involved in trying to love other people and to serve them, whether it's in your home, whether it's in the church, or whether it's just in the world. It's just hard, and you're just tired and weary and worn out. And prayer, prayer, Prayer is just non-existence in your experience, non-existent. And so in your life, perhaps, rather than abounding in thanksgiving to the Father and to Jesus, you're maybe discouraged and you're maybe even despairing. And maybe you've really gone to the extreme of just becoming a kind of a sour-faced, grumbling cynic. You know, carrying the attitude of, ah, been there and done that. And just honestly, you're just kind of done with it all. You're just done with it. And so maybe for one or more of those reasons or a combination of those, you're drifting away from stable and steadfast and joyful and thankful faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're doubting. And you're thinking perhaps Jesus maybe isn't even real, or if he is real, maybe he's just not really enough. And so again, this is all imaginary. Just imagine this is you as a Christian in the city of Colossae in the first century. You might be drifting in your faith in Christ, or you might be stable, but now it's Sunday morning, and you're present for the corporate worship service. Just imagine that. You're present for the corporate worship service. And you've heard that a letter has arrived from the famous apostle and missionary Paul. Now, you have never seen Paul face to face, but he preached the gospel for about three years in the city of Ephesus. And that is when your friend Epaphras came to faith in Christ when Epaphras was visiting that city. 
Well, now you've heard that Paul is in prison, and he has sent two of his fellow workers, two men named Tychicus and Onesimus, and they've brought this letter from Paul to your church in Colossae. And you're in the worship service, and the letter is about to be read. Now, you're mildly interested in hearing what Paul has to say, but then it hits you. Then it hits you. This is the living God speaking through Paul because he's an apostle after all, which means that he is chosen and sent by the authority of the risen Jesus. And so this is the living God speaking through Paul and he's speaking right to you. And this is what he says. Colossians 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant." He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. 
He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving see to it friends that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elementary elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink 
or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Oh, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now... You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with 
thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. We've moved into chapter 4, of course. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, 
See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. And as the true and living God spoke through Paul in the first century, so his word is as true and living and authoritative and relevant today as it was when it was first given. God still speaks through what he has spoken. And everything that we hear in this short, powerful letter concerns the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It concerns the supremacy and the sufficiency of God's grace and peace in Jesus Christ. And that's really the theme, the point, the big idea of the entire letter. It's a call to keep trusting the supremacy and the sufficiency of God's grace and peace in Jesus Christ. And this, of course, is the theme that Paul introduces in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1 in his greeting. And he tells us there in verses 1 and 2 that he's writing as an apostle, which means he's one chosen and sent by the will of God with the word of God, chosen and sent by the risen Jesus himself. And he's writing to saints to God's people. He calls them brothers, but it's implied that it certainly would include brothers and sisters, but he's speaking of a believer's identity and relationship in God's family to God's people who are in Christ. They geographically live in the city of Colossae, but more significantly, spiritually and theologically, they are in Christ which means that they share life and union with Christ and with all of his people. And God is speaking through Paul to strengthen the faith and the faithfulness of these people, lest they and lest we would subtly but definitely shift away from the hope of the gospel. God loves his people. God wants his people to know the fullness of his riches and the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be stable and steadfast in trusting him and in walking with him and in bringing glory to him and bearing fruit for him in this world. So at the very beginning when Paul says there at the end of verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. It's God's heart for his people to know the fullness of his grace, the fullness of his peace, which is known through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and all of God's grace and peace in him. You see, God pours out his grace. His grace has to do with his undeserved kindness and blessings that come in Christ instead of his wrath and instead of his judgment. And his peace, as I mentioned earlier, has to do with that tranquility of soul, that quietness of conscience that he gives 
to those who belong to him through faith, who know that their sins are forgiven and cleansed forever because of the work of Christ. So the point that Paul is making, that God is making through Paul throughout this letter, is that God's grace and peace in Jesus is always all that we need. And that's where our faith always needs to be. You see, beloved, the Colossians needed to hear this message again and again, even as we need to hear this message again and again. It's evident with everything that Paul addresses in his letter to the Colossians that they, like us, they were being tempted, pushed, and pulled by all kinds of spiritual dangers. Again, just like we are. All kinds of things that can come against us and seek to shift us away from devoted faith in Christ. They were dealing with paganism and legalism and mysticism and asceticism and ritualism and syncretism and hedonism and a lot of other isms as well. Deceitful, worldly philosophies, human traditions, plausible arguments. In other words, ideas and teachings and opinions that that they all sound good and reasonable and, and even helpful, but they're opposed to Christ and they draw people away from faith in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, all of those kinds of things were swirling around in the context of of the Colossians and as they do in the context of our own lives as well. And as we move through the letter in the weeks and months ahead, uh, we're going to learn more about all of these dangers that constantly work to undermine wholehearted confidence in and commitment to the supremacy and the sufficiency of God's grace and peace in Jesus. Beloved, Christ is all, and he is always all that we need. And this, uh, which Paul explains, which God through Paul explains in rich and specific and emphatic detail, this is what he is saying through this letter to the Colossians. So this morning is really just a a very brief introduction and just to hear the letter as it unfolds, which is always good for us to do. But as we move through the letter in weeks and months ahead, I want to encourage you in three different ways. Let me encourage you in three different ways, and this is what we'll wrap up with this morning. First of all, I encourage you to pray, to pray. Pray the way Paul prays in verses 3 to 14 of Colossians chapter 1. This is one of many of the times throughout the New Testament that Paul tells us how he's praying for the believers. I'd encourage you, begin to pray what he's praying there in verses 3 to 14. For yourself and for others, pray. And be praying that God would would do the very things that Paul's talking about there because God's teaching us how we ought to be praying. Pray that way. Second of all, I'd encourage you to read to read. Read this letter again and again and again and again. Wherever else you may be reading in Scripture, and I hope you're reading elsewhere in Scripture, however that may unfold in your life, but commit yourself to reading this letter at least once a week, maybe more. It takes about 
15 minutes maybe. I mean, it could vary, of course, depending on how fast or slow you read. But read it at least once a week with yourself, with friends, in your family, for family devotions, your own devotions. Just commit yourself to saturating yourself with this letter and asking as you're reading, asking God to really drive these things home in your heart, to see the glory of the supremacy and the sufficiency of all of God's care and provision in the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, pray. Second of all, read. And then third, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. As you're praying, as you're reading, be regularly asking and thinking, how does God want me specifically in my specific immediate circumstances? How does he want me to be trusting and obeying Jesus? Be asking him to reveal that to you. Uh, even, even more specifically, be asking what specific changes in big ways or in small ways is God wanting you to make even today? And so, friends, pray and read and trust and obey. And be asking the Lord to drive these things home and to help you continue to be trusting. And maybe for some of you coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time to be delivered from God's wrath and judgment. So be praying, be reading, be trusting, obeying. Beloved, God's chosen, holy, and beloved ones, Christ is all, and he is always all we need. That's the message of this letter. His supremacy and his sufficiency is unchanging, and the fullness of God's grace and peace is found and known only in him. So trust him Walk with him. Don't drift away from the supremacy and the sufficiency of God's grace and peace in him. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. You are so kind. You are so faithful to regularly feed us with everything that we need to grow in the full assurance of, of knowing you and belonging to you and walking with you. And even in the brief time we've had this morning to hear the fullness of this short letter that you've given through Paul to the Colossians, we know it is your word for us today. And Father, I pray that your blessing would genuinely be on each person here and each person hearing this even in days to come, that they would know the fullness of your grace and the fullness of your peace in trusting Christ and Christ alone, resting in, rejoicing in, being confident in your supremacy and your sufficiency in Christ. Father, we thank you for all that you've given for us to share in with this even today. And may your purposes be realized for, for your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.